All right, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, look at verses 11 to 18 this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 18, I'm going to title the message, it's going to be where love cannot be, where love cannot be. You find 1 John chapter 3, uh, find verse 11, follow along with me as we read down to verse 18. It says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, love is perhaps the outward identifying mark for a child of God. The Lord Jesus himself said, By this all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. One of the early church fathers said about the early believers, Behold how they love one another. It's, you know, it's not that we have this love inherent in ourselves, but, but the love of God is poured out into our hearts and then out of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is he who teaches us how to love people the way we ought to love people. Now, in these verses here, verses 11 to 18, uh, John shares with us some places where God's love just cannot be. It cannot coexist. Uh, we see in verses 11 and 12 says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Now, murder is one of the most extreme forms of hate. Sometimes it's even called the opposite of love. Now, in verse 12, uh, John brings to our attention somebody from from the Old Testament, Cain, and, and there's kind of three things we're going to look at as far as, as, far as Cain goes here. Uh, kind of where, where did Cain come from, first of all? What was his origin? What kind of personality? Why was he thinking the way he was? All right. Well, of course, we know from a physical point of view, uh, he came from the same mother and father that Abel did, and that's you know, Adam and Eve. But any of you who have more than one child knows that uh, you know, children born in the same family, brought up in the same atmosphere, given the same kind of backgrounds, will still be very, very different children. So Cain and his brother Abel, they have the same mom, they have the same dad, but they are two very, very different individuals. And not only are people born into a physical family, but they're also born into a spiritual family. And uh, matter of fact, when we're born, we're all born into the same spiritual family. But look what it says in verse 12, where it says, Not as Cain, uh, who was of that wicked one. And of course, he's talking about Satan himself, the devil. And that word wicked, wicked one, uh, it, it means evil and active opposition to, to what is good. Speaking of Satan. Remember, you can, you can be evil 
uh, and just live your own life, mind your own business, and, and really not want to hurt anybody else. You just want to live your life the way you want to. Uh, that's not th that this word here. This is uh, you are evil. You want to live evil, and you want to take as many people down with you as you possibly can. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. People are not born into this world as a child of God. Enmity from the first existed between the seed of woman and the seed of the serpent. And here we can see that Cain may have been one of the first fruits of Satan's crop. Look back in verse 10 for just a moment. It says, In this uh, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. There's two distinct uh, spiritual families, the children of God, the children of the devil. Cain was of that, that wicked one. Uh, he had the attitude of Satan. Uh, the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil was a murderer, uh, a liar. Uh, he seeks to steal and to destroy. Now, now what did Cain do here? Uh, verse 12 says that he murdered his brother. Now, in antiquity, the murder of a brother was considered one of the most heinous crimes that you could commit. And here John applies brother to any Christian um, in any community anywhere, really. Uh, the word that's used here is a, is a graphic word. Uh, it means to slay by violent means. It means to cut the throat. It means to slaughter. It means to butcher. So when Cain killed his brother Abel, it was a brutal, bloody, violent murder. It's the same word you would see in describing the sacrifice of an animal. Now remember that uh, Cain's works offerings of, of, of produce, essentially, was rejected by God, while Abel's blood sacrifice was accepted. And that angered Cain. And Cain is, in effect, saying here, God, you want a blood sacrifice? I'll give you a blood sacrifice. And then he brutally, hatefully murdered his brother now Cain did this because verse 12 again our answer is there because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous Cain's works are described as actively opposed to that which is good you see God and and and, and Cain had this disagreement over what constituted a relationship with God uh, they differed about what the relationship was really all about and Cain was not willing to do things God's way Cain was not willing to follow the directions that God had set out Cain refused to love God the way God said he was to be loved. What we see here is love cannot exist. Love cannot be where murder is. Secondly, love cannot be where there is malice. Look at verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. We need to see the connection here. I mean, you would all agree with me that, 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 that love cannot be where there is murder. And now scripture says that, that love cannot be where there is malice. Murder, we could say, would be, would be external. Malice is internal. See, verse 13, it says, it says, marvel not. Stop marveling. 
if the world hates you. Really, the marvel would be if the world loved you. Okay, that would be something to marvel about. All right? John is setting before us here the presence of hatred in the world, and we live in a world of hate. It's just the way it is. There's hatred between nations. There's hatred in the business world. There's competition that leads to hatred. It's just the nature of the world right now. It says, marvel not if the world hates you. See, the world feels its bad works tacitly reproved by, by your good works. Jesus put it this way. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Right? That's the way it is. They hate me. They're going to hate you. The world doesn't love you if you're a Christian. The world doesn't love you if you name the name of Christ. Cain hated his brother Abel, and he had an argument against God. He ultimately hated God for God's requirements of righteousness. One commentator by the name of Smith puts it this way. He kind of gives us kind of a word of caution here. It's no wonder if the world hates us, and its judgment is not decisive. Nevertheless, our business is not to be hated by the world, but to commend Jesus to it and win it. We must not impute to the world's hostility to goodness the consequences of our own unfriendliness and tactlessness. It's not martyrdom to pay bills one has run up oneself. Now what does that mean? That the world hating you because you're a Christian is different than the world hating you because you're a jerk. There's no martyrdom in being a jerk. Notice the difference that uh, is to be present in the life of a believer, verse 14. It says that we have passed from death unto life. We have passed over permanently, literally, out of the death into the life, which is Christ. Uh, Out of the death that, that, that engrosses those who don't know Christ as Savior into the life of us that have been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have been transposed out of death and into life and in so doing we have been taken out of a world of hate where our heart was filled with hate now we're in an atmosphere of life where the holy spirit ensures us the capacity to love that's what happens when somebody gets saved passage goes on here that uh, we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren love on our part is 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 the evidence of our justification and regeneration it's not the cause okay scripture song that we sing uh, makes it very clear that loving the brethren does not make you saved you don't work for your salvation but by being saved you will love the brethren Another commentary goes on, whatever the world may say, we know the test is not its hatred, but the test is our love. The world hating you is not evidence of your salvation. You loving the brethren is evidence of your salvation. And only Jesus Christ can do that in a human being. We've all known people that have been filled with hatred, uh, seem to to hate everybody. They seem to be on a path of self-destruction that Jesus Christ has made into new creatures, and they've replaced that hard, hateful heart with a heart of love. Some of you sitting here may have real malice 
real hatred in your heart for somebody else. And that is so very dangerous. See, a Christian can singularly commit any sin that a non-believer can. A Christian can hate, a Christian can murder, but a Christian cannot be a hate monger. A Christian cannot be a murderer. If you can live in a place of hate, if you can live in a place of malice and murder in your heart, then that is evidence of you not being a Christian, but a false professor. Another commentary says his lack of love evidences that no saving change has passed into their life. But you don't have to live that way. Jesus teaches us to love people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love them. Now, why is it so important that we deal with any hatred or any malice that comes up in our heart? Verse 15 tells us that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. See, love and hatred, just like, like light and darkness, life and death, they necessarily replace one another. They necessarily exclude one another. See, whomsoever you hate, you wish dead. And the only difference between the actual murder and hate in the heart is the, is the outward deed, Jesus says. John says, everyone who is habitually hating his brother is a manslayer. The inward intention's the same. Which means that given the right circumstances, under the, under the proper pressures, uh, if you've got hatred in your heart, you could very easily take the next step to actual murder. But notice what else it says here. It says, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That means that he who hates, that's loveth not his brother, cannot in that present state have eternal life abiding in them. What he's saying is that that person is not saved. He says, oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been baptized. Doesn't matter. No, oh, but, but, but I'm a church member. Nope, that doesn't count either. But, but pastor, I, I tithe. I, I read my Bible all the time. I only watch good movies. And, and, and no, no. If you do not, if you will not love your brothers and sisters in Christ, all your claims to know the Lord are null and void. The living spirit of a man is incapable of a state of, of indifference, which means that if we, if we do not have the love of God working in us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, it means that we have never left that state of hatred that exists before we came to Christ. God says if you've got hate in your heart, then you're a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. Love cannot coexist with malice. And look at verses 16 and 17. It's our third thing here. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now I know this is a stretch, but I've got an M theme going here, right? We've got murder, we've got malice, 
This is miserliness, okay? You know what that means? Miserliness, being stingy, okay? But stingy starts with an S and not an M, so that's kind of where we're at, all right? Notice what John is saying here. He's saying that love cannot be where there is this attitude of miserliness in the heart. Uh, In these two verses, there's a contrast that is drawn. We see that love is immensely practical. Love must be done. Love must be acted out. There's two examples given here. First of all, an example to reflect on in verse 16. It says that Jesus laid down his life. John's referring to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ here. In this brief statement, John tells us three very important things about the death of our Lord. First of all, it was voluntary. Nobody took Jesus' life away from him. He laid down his life. And unless Jesus had decided to die on the cross, Jesus would have never died on the cross. Life was not taken from him. He laid down his life, and he died at the exact moment of his choosing. Number two, it was vicarious. Now, that word simply means in the place of. He laid down his life for us. It means that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took God's wrath against our sin in the place of us. And number three, it was victorious. The verb tense laid down here is is called the aorist tense in the Greek, and it means that he did it one time with a continuing future effect, once for all. So when Jesus died on the cross, he says, it is finished, meaning it is paid in full. Once and for all, he laid down his life once, and for all, the price was paid in full. Because he did that, then it says we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He laid down his life to save. We ought to lay down our lives then to serve. So many people just live for themselves. Everything evolves around themselves. And if, you know, they're only interested in things that serve themselves. See, the ego has to be, has to be crucified. Self must be denied for the benefit of one's brother or sister in Christ. If not, there, there is no love there. You know, we sing, others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me live for others that I may live for thee. See, love, the love of God working in you, makes you live for others. And if, if there is this, this miserliness, this stinginess in your heart, then love can't coexist there. See, miserliness ends up being the magnet that keeps your attention firmly attached to you. But then we see in verse 17 an example to to reject. Now, when it says those, but whoso hath this this world's good, um, it doesn't mean that that they have an abundance of things, but they have the basic necessities of life. So so if if you have the basic necessities of life, you don't have excess, but, but you have enough, okay? You have enough to get by. This is speaking to you. And the word shut up here literally means to slam the door or to close the door and lock the door. So if you see somebody with a need and you slam the door, you lock the door on that, how does God's love dwell in you? It's not really a rhetorical question. There's there's a conflict going on. 
See, the Greeks held that this part of the body, the bowels, which is what verse 17 mentions, uh, that was the special location of the emotions, okay? Uh, so when the term's used, what it means is, is, is that that person is emotionally involved in the situation. It means that, that, that you don't just see their need, you, you feel their need. You have empathy for their need. You're, you're emotionally invested in their need. And as some Jewish thought goes, withholding goods from somebody in need is the equivalent to starving them. So if we're emotionally invested in the need of somebody else, how can we say we love God and close the door on their need? We use the word love in a lot of, a lot of different ways. Very loosely, we, we use this word. But when scripture uses it in this kind of context, it's, it's, it's in the context of giving. Okay? It's in the context of something going from you to somebody else. Love is, is, is something that must be done. It's an active word. And where there is love, there will always be this outgoing to, the, to, to, to meeting the needs of somebody else. See, it's been said that it's, it's easy to lay down one's life for Christ. I mean, martyrdom is, is heroic. Martyrdom is exhilarating. The difficulty lies in doing little things, facing day by day the petty sacrifices and self-denial which no one notices and no one applauds. It's been said that dying for Jesus is easy. It's living for him that is difficult. But, but that is where love is seen. Let's look at verse 18 as we wrap this up. Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap, right? We have all heard it. We, we all know it. Uh, if we don't love, then we ought not say we love. If we don't love by what we do, we're really not loving. And it's one thing to talk about it, something entirely different to do it. And it's one thing to talk about helping the needy. It's an entirely different thing to actually help the needy. It's one thing to talk about winning souls to Jesus Christ. It's an entirely different thing to actually be talking to people and trying to win them to Jesus Christ. Love is not simply a matter of words. Action and truth count for more than words. Should you say that you love them? Yes. But if you stop there, you've lied. Love is what you do. Love must be expressed in order to be love. James 1.22 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Warm words, yes. Compassionate words, those are important, but they must be accompanied by the warm and compassionate deeds if they're going to be love in deed and in truth. You know, the Apostle John wrote 
1 John. He also wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote Revelation, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Of all the apostles, he was the one that, that lived the longest. And when he was, was old, when he could no longer make it to the church meetings himself, uh, his, follow, his disciples, for lack of a better word, would carry him to the meetings. And he would always utter the same address to the church. He reminded them of the one commandment that he had received from Christ himself, because uh, he thought it comprised all all the rest, kind of formed the distinction of the new covenant, and 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 it was this: is as my little children love one another. When he was too old to walk, John was still reiterating this to the people of God: my little children love one another, love one another. And when the brethren present there got tired of hearing the same thing so often, over and over and over, they asked why he repeated the same thing. And this is what it's recorded that John said. It says, because it's the commandment of the Lord, and if this one thing be attained, it is enough. The heart of John, the heart of the Holy Spirit through John, is that brothers and sisters in Christ love one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ express love one to another. If we can show love one to another in many respects, that is enough. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we, we approach your throne. Lord, we want to come boldly, as it says in Hebrews. But yet, Lord, it's with, with some, some trepidation. Father, your desire for your people is to love one another as you have loved them. Father, I am guilty of not being loving the way you desire me to be loving. So, Father, I pray that you convict me of that sin, that I repent, that I turn from it, and that, Father, you teach me how to be more, um, that I show love more, your love more. And I pray, Father, for anyone this morning that is here in the same situation, that they've gotten lax, they've gotten comfortable, they've gotten a little self-centered and self-focused, and your love does not flow out of them as you desire. I pray, Father, you would work in them, fill them with your love that it ooze out to those around them. And then, Father, I I pray for anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior. They have never trusted Jesus to save them. Uh, They have not had your spirit work in them to 
give them this heart of love, but their heart is still hard, Lord. It's still full of hatred and, 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 and sin and wickedness, and it separates them from you. I pray, Lord, the conviction of your spirit on them that they understand their need to come to Christ by faith to be saved. Lord, at this time, we, we depend upon the work of your Holy Spirit because these are not works we can do ourselves. So please work in us to be a loving people that honors and glorifies you above all things. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keith, would you come?